I want to introduce Sarah McBride. All of the parents in our Facebook group were posting about it. Sarah McBride is a courageous young leader. My friend Alice sent me a text about it, filled with exclamation points and a champagne bottle popping. And she is right now the first trans person ever to address a national convention. I had never heard of this young woman. Sarah! But I shared her speech, too, with my own champagne bottle popping. I called my parents to make sure they had seen it, and I showed my daughter. I wanted her to watch her own history happening. Thank you so much, Congressman. Isn't she wonderful, I said. My name is Sarah McBride, and I am a proud transgender American. Remember her. It turns out Sarah McBride was born for politics. At around five or six, I started reading about history and uh, reading about the White House in particular because I loved architecture. She built models of the White House out of her blocks. And her growing obsession with politics earned her the nickname, The Little President. I devoured books about presidents and I, um, this is embarrassing, I had a podium in my bedroom growing up. But no one else knew that The Little President was a girl like so many trans kids. She would keep that to herself for years. And of course, no one was calling her Sarah yet or using female pronouns. But she knew who she was. I remember when I was probably six or seven lying in my bed at night praying that I would wake up the next day and be myself. Sarah was 10 years old when she first learned what people like her were called and how they were seen. It happened one night when she was watching television with her mom. Uh, And the guest character, it was revealed during the course of the episode, was transgender. What? And I remember turning to my mother and asking my mother, is that real or are there other people like this? And she sort of nonchalantly said yes. If you knew the backstory on that, you'd be rolled. Every single time a character in the show who didn't know she was transgender expressed any kind of interest in her, the laugh track would cue. No, this isn't happening. At 10 years old, you don't know a lot, but you know you don't want to be a joke. (laughs) In 2004, 13-year-old Sarah was so inspired by a speech at the Democratic National Convention that she set up a makeshift convention stage in her bedroom. It was sort of the first time that I saw a politician speak in the way that the presidents in the history books spoke. She memorized the speech and delivered it from her homemade podium to an invisible audience over and over. Can you remember a few lines of that? Sure. Um, uh The pundits, the pundits like to slice and dice our country into red states and blue states. Red states for Republicans, blue states for Democrats. But I've got news for them too. We worship an awesome God in the blue states. In the blue states, we coach little league in the blue states, and yes, we've got some gay friends in the red states. And yes, we've got some gay friends in the red states. We are one people. 
all of us. I remember hearing that speech right. and just being so inspired by that kind of message, all a of message that the reflected States the diversity of America. of America, that acknowledged our diversity as our strength, that talked about the hope of immigrants setting out for distant shores. How we don't have to be all the same to be united. The hope of a skinny kid with a funny name who believes that America has a place for him too. Sarah dove into politics as a teenager. In high school, she volunteered for local politicians, helping on Beau Biden's campaign for attorney general. And she threw herself into the campaign to elect Jack Markell as the governor of Delaware. He took her under his wing and encouraged her. And that was incredible. It was empowering. But it was also, for me, as someone in the closet at the time, uh, a realization that I had these privileges I had these opportunities, and I would be, I, I would be, I would be potentially giving up these opportunities and these privileges if I came out and transitioned. The more involved in politics I got, the more opportunities I got, the more folks mentored me and 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 invested in me. The more I I sort of felt restrained by these the handcuffs of, of these dreams and these these goals and, and frankly just the desire to have a happy, fulfilled life because it, it truly seemed at that point that having a happy and fulfilled life was mutually exclusive with, with being out as transgender. In college at American University, she was elected student body president. The little president was living out her childhood dreams, but hiding Sarah hiding who she really was, was taking its toll. I think it's difficult for folks to wrap their mind around just how significant that pain can become. And, you know, for me, it felt like a constant feeling of homesickness. And for a while, my dreams won out over that pain, over that homesickness. But eventually, the homesickness and the pain became far too much, and eventually my dreams had to give way. Did you think, well, I just have to do this and maybe it's the end of my dreams? It, it did seem to me that these, these two concepts, living authentically and, and pursuing my dreams, were completely mutually exclusive. And I gave up. I gave up on my dreams. I, I remember telling my mom, I don't know if I'm going to end up coming back to Delaware. I don't really know that I want to go into politics anymore. And in many ways, that was my way of sort of allowing myself to finally accept the fact that I knew about myself, that I'm transgender, that I'm, that I'm a woman. Sarah came out as a transgender woman during her junior year of college in a Facebook post on the final week of her term as student body president. The college newspaper published her coming out letter, and her story made national headlines. It definitely, um, it, it freed me. She told family and friends that she would be using female pronouns, and her name was now Sarah. She had a coming out party with friends from college and high school who rallied around to support her. She bought a whole new wardrobe, and her ex-girlfriend from high school showed her how to do her makeup. Her parents struggled, terrified for her at first, 
Grieving the loss of the son they thought they had, but they clearly loved their child too fiercely to turn away. And in time, they became her staunchest allies and her biggest champions. As she moved slowly from presenting as a young man to presenting herself as a young woman, Sarah felt the smirks and stares of strangers when she walked down the street. She feared being evicted from her apartment if her landlord found out about her transition. But she didn't regret it. She still believed that she had traded in her professional dreams for her identity. But she also felt like she had finally come home. The homesickness she had always felt was gone. And one day, an email arrived out of the blue from the White House. It was an invitation to a reception hosted by President Obama, celebrating Pride Month. The organizers had heard about Sarah when she came out as student body president at her college. At the reception, Sarah walked through the hallowed rooms and hallways she had been daydreaming about since she was little. And she cheered alongside other LGBT activists when Obama himself appeared and told them, you have a friend in the White House. And just a couple months later, Sarah walked into the White House again for her first day on the job as a White House intern, as the first openly transgender woman to serve as a White House intern or in any official capacity at the White House. What would you say if you could whisper in, the, in little Sarah's ear as the woman you are now, what would you tell her? That it's going to be okay that you can live your truth and dream big dreams all at the same time. And it might not always be easy, and it might be scary, but you can do this. Things were looking pretty good for Sarah. She was living in Washington, D.C., one of the few places in the country that had passed laws protecting basic civil rights for transgender people. But D.C. wasn't home. I loved Delaware. I still love Delaware. Her family and her heart were in Delaware. After I came out, one of my dreams was to be safe to come home to my home state, to the state I love. But because Delaware lacked those protections, I was, I was scared to come home. So Sarah decided to change that. It was early in 2013, and Sarah was just 22 and still a college student. But she threw herself into lobbying to pass a gender identity protections bill in Delaware. Every day she didn't have classes, she drove to the state capitol in Dover to camp out at Legislative Hall, day after day, for months, meeting with dozens of state legislators. She told them her story and then looked them in the eye and asked them to make it safe for her to come home. She reached out to her old friend, Governor Jack Markell, and asked for his support of the bill. Then she called on another friend, Delaware Attorney General Bo Biden, son of the vice president, whose campaign she had worked on when she was just 16. Both politicians came out publicly in strong support of the bill, both citing their relationship with their young transgender friend and fellow Delawarean, Sarah McBride. Sarah wasn't the only person lobbying for the bill, of course. Activists across the state were working on it, too. The big day came in June. After months of lobbying, Sarah sat in the Delaware Senate chamber alongside her parents, Sally and David McBride. They were the only family to testify in front of the full Senate on the bill. 
Sarah told her story of how she had struggled with her identity all her life and of finally coming to terms with who she was. I I don't think other people realize just how dehumanizing it is to have to plead for basic dignity. Her parents tearfully told their story of learning they had a transgender daughter and of their hopes and fears for her as parents. And, and I remember watching my parents testify and I started crying because I felt like they were pleading in a criminal case where I had been charged with a crime. Even the senators who were going to vote against the bill looked sympathetic to her parents, but that didn't mean that they had changed their minds. The conversations around bathroom access started to occur, and uh, one senator, uh, conservative Republican, sort of took the lead in talking about all of these emails and letters he's been getting from women and children who were scared about people going into the restroom to pray on children if this law passes. Supporters of the bill countered with the fact that assaults in restrooms and anywhere else were already illegal, and this bill would not change that. Another conservative Republican senator joined in and started yelling, accusing the bill's backers of lying. Going on and on about, you know, transgender, if we allow transgender people to use the restroom, then either transgender people or people pretending to be transgender will go into these restrooms to hurt or assault other people in the restrooms. Sarah had had enough. She had already watched her parents bear their souls and plead their daughter's case. She was done listening to the thinly-veiled suggestion that allowing her access to bathrooms meant allowing predators access to bathrooms. So she asked for permission to speak to the Senate again. And in a tone that was probably a little bit too heated, I explained just how offensive and disingenuous these arguments that they were making were. That 16 states had already passed similar non-discrimination protections, and there had not been any evidence of any kind of increase in public safety incidences in restrooms because of them. Sarah explained that this debate wasn't actually about bathroom safety. This was about something bigger and darker. Because if you can't use a restroom that makes sense for you, it becomes much more difficult to go to school or to go to work. And so these are thinly veiled attempts to push transgender people into the shadows and out of public life. And then it was time for the vote. Sarah sat, her heart pounding, with a pen and paper in her lap, tallying the votes, as each senator's name was called, and each one called out their vote. Each time we heard yes, it wasn't just a vote in favor. It was a clear statement by that elected official that they see us, that they love us, and that they want us as part of their community and the state. The bill passed the Senate by just one vote. And, and, and as a whole, the message it sent to me and to so many transgender people across the state was that the heart of our state was big enough to love us too. On June 19th, 2013, Sarah stood beside her pal Jack Markell in the governor's office as he signed the Gender Identity Non-Discrimination Act 
into law before a cheering crowd of transgender activists. Delaware was now one of 17 states with a law on the books guaranteeing the rights of transgender people. And Delaware was now safe for Sarah to go home to. But despite our progress, so much work remains. Will we be a nation where there's only one way to love, only one way to look, and only one way to live? Or will we be a nation where everyone has the freedom to live openly and equally? A nation that's stronger together. In 2016, my friends and I watched, along with the rest of the world, as Sarah made history standing on stage in Philadelphia at the Democratic National Convention. What were you thinking when you stood on that stage at the convention? What was going through your mind? Well, right before I went on stage, um, I was incredibly nervous. And then they announced my name, and for the first time that night, the arena started applauding. Mm. And for the first time that night, they started listening. Today in America, LGBTQ people are still targeted by hate that lives in both laws and in hearts. And it wasn't about me. They had no idea who I was. It was about this moment. Um, because it was the first time that in the political sphere, we were so visibly and clearly embraced. It was just, you know, for someone who... 12 years before, was deeply in the closet, but building a little convention stage in my bedroom. But I believe that tomorrow can be different. To be able to stand on that very stage as my authentic self. Tomorrow we can be respected and protected. Was one of the most inspiring and empowering experiences that I've ever had. ask the, the the darker question so much so much progress was made under the Obama administration for for the transgender community mm-hmm. and now the Trump administration is systematically rolling back these protections um, what do we do now what are you where are you at with this well you know I think there's there's no question that we are facing unprecedented challenges. But I think what we've also seen over the last year and a half is that we have seen the power of our voices that no presidency is going to halt the momentum of our movement and that Donald Trump and Mike Pence cannot close the the hearts and, and, and change back the minds of the people who have, over the last decade or two, gotten to know the beautiful diversity of the trans community. We are truly stronger than this president. I think we're seeing that young people are going to lead the way because because young people will be the ones who write the history books of tomorrow. They will get to decide who was right and who was wrong in this moment. And that will be a day, generations from now, 
when a young trans kid or a young gay kid will grow up and learn about this struggle for justice and equality in their history books and never have to know what this progress felt like to all of us because they will never know anything different. And that will be because of so many people speaking out and fighting back. It'll be because of people mobilized into action, including during this time, during this administration. And it will be clear that this moment was the beginning of a new period of justice and equality for people of every background in this country. So are you going to be the first transgender president? I don't know. You sure sound like it. What about the senator representing the state of Delaware? I can see that. Sarah said she has no immediate plans to run for elected office, but told me she wasn't ruling it out in the future. There's so much more to Sarah's story, and I couldn't include it all in this episode, especially the love story she lived through with her husband, the courageous lawyer and activist Andrew Cray, whom we also owe a debt of gratitude for his championing of healthcare access for transgender people, and whom Sarah lost to cancer just days after their marriage. You can read about Andrew and Sarah's love story and their relentless fight against discrimination in her beautiful book, Tomorrow Will Be Different. I highly recommend it. Sarah continues her fight for equality as the National Press Secretary for the Human Rights Campaign, the largest LGBT advocacy group in the U.S. I'm Marlo Mack, and this is How to Be a Girl. My talented editor is Whitney Henry Lester. If you'd like to support this podcast, please check out the support page on my website, marlomack.com. If you haven't already done so, please vote. I'll be back soon with more episodes. Until then, take good care. And thank you so much for listening. If you do run, can my daughter work on your campaign? Oh my God, absolutely. (laughs) 